Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Elizabeth Ward and Hillary Wright. Liz is a registered dietitian and award-winning nutrition communicator with more than 30 years of experience counseling patients and writing about nutrition and health. Hillary is a registered dietitian with over 30 years of experience as a nutrition educator, writer, speaker, and consultant. Together, they authored the book, The Menopause Diet Plan, A Natural Guide to Managing Hormones, Health, and Happiness. In the episode, Liz and Hillary discuss the prevalence of, quote, magic pills, unquote, for menopausal weight loss, why a balanced plate and breakfast can be so important, their opinions on the Galveston diet, and more. Before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order and I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Liz and Hillary. Enjoy! I'm Brooke Simonson certified nutrition coach and your host of the health investment podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week I interview experts and share no nonsense research backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Liz and Hillary. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I really can't wait to dive into all the nonsense that's out there and just get the facts. That's my favorite thing. Do we have enough time for that? I'm not really sure. I'm sure, especially in your space. I read, uh, are you familiar with the dietitian Abby Langer? Oh yeah. She's a friend of mine. Oh great. Yeah. She's fantastic. But she wrote an article online and I'll link this uh, for everyone in the show notes, but Mm -hmm. I believe the title is something like menopause is the new cash cow. And how so many people are targeting menopausal women with supplements and these kind of restrictive diets and using that stage of life as a big moneymaker, which I find so (laughs) unfortunate. I mean, I guess there will always be people who prey on other people. Um, But 
I guess we'll hear from you whether whether or not you think that's the case. <laughs> I actually read something recently to suggest that cosmetic companies were like producing basically the same product. And when marketing to older women, they were jacking up the price because like, they figure, you know, menopausal women may have more disposable income than uh-huh. and more des- and more desperation. Right. And more, yeah, they're awful. more they're definitely more vulnerable because their looks have changed and they're they're upset about it. So they're like, you know, here, take my money. Wow. Make it better. Yeah. Yeah. Take my thing and we will slow the aging process. <laughs> well, I would love if we could start by just having you guys just kind of briefly share a little bit about your background and then what led you to become dietitians and to focus on menopause. Hmm. <laughs> Let's go first. Um, so uh, this is Hillary talking. Um, I actually am a dietitian because of my mother. And what I mean by that is I was floundering around with majors. I knew I liked science um, and I was interested in healthcare. And I grew up in a family with six kids and two of my brothers have type one diabetes. And my mother was very helped by a registered dietitian back in the seventies at Boston Children's Hospital. So she kept poking me as I was trying to figure out majors um, and to encourage me to consider this. So, um, having, you know, that's what Liz and I met is when we were undergrads together at UMass Amherst. Um, and since that time, we've had some overlaps in our careers and that we both do writing things. Um, and we both do work in women's health. Um, I still see people, uh, do patient care, uh, whereas Liz is the social media, uh, communications maven. So, um, yeah. I mean, when, you know, we, we always had our side projects and thought about we should do something together. And then, you know, our kids are getting older and we're like, oh, you know, we were both experiencing menopause related symptoms and we're realizing there was a lot of confusing stuff out there. So uh, we both had been writing books and we're like, maybe we should write a book together. You know, they say, write about what you know. And uh-huh. that's what we were knowing a lot at that time. But it's funny because there was nothing out there either. Like we were trying to find um, good, solid menopause, um, a book, you know, where all the information was compiled and there was nothing. Of course, there's not a lot of, uh, research done on women's health anyway, mm, especially after you're 50. Absolutely mm. not. It's like a huge gap between 50 and 65. Um, so, so we, what we did was we, um, we did, we did the research yeah. <laughs> and we put the book together. Um, and so we, we took, you know, we looked, we looked under every rock, um, and the, the book is, uh, completely referenced, you know, every single thing we say has at least, one, if not five studies to back it up. So we mm-hmm. feel like we're on really solid ground. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I guess just let's dive right in. Can you mm-hmm. explain, first of all, is weight gain inevitable during menopause? And then I guess the kind of the part B of that is, if the answer is yes, what does it do to? Is it hormones or a calorie surplus or both? Kind of what's the deal with the weight gain? It's so hard to tease that out, um, in, even in the research, but, you know, I think one thing is for sure, you know, is it, is it aging? Is it menopause? Because 
when you're going through perimenopause, like menopause is one day in your life. You're either before or after. I mean, for, for technically speaking. So you're going through perimenopause and you're getting all these hormone fluctuations. You're also aging. I mean, it could last between four and 10 years. So, um, you know, mostly four. So don't get, don't get too upset, anyone that's listening to this. <laughs> um, but the, you're aging. And so in that time, you also may be slowing down. You know, you don't have little kids. Most of us don't have little kids that we're running after all day long. Um, and, you know, we're never sitting down. And it all, you know, all of those things combined, um, you know, sitting more at your job, maybe, right? Less physical activity and maybe a few more calories here and there. I don't know. I mean, it's different for everybody. Um, could be why people gain weight in midlife, men gain weight in midlife yeah. too. So we have to remember that that's going on as well. But one thing we do know is that when you do gain the weight, most of the time it ends up around your belly and that's um, more of an, of a health issue than it is an appearance issue for us as dietitians, because it's mostly visceral fat. And that's the type of fat that is inside of the muscle wall and surrounding the organs. And it's a type of fat that's, um, it's just worse for you than subcutaneous fat, which is the fat that you tend to carry in, you know, your thighs and your butt and your hips and in your belly. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think what's what's true for the vast majority of women is bodies will change. Bodies change with age. I mean, and this is the thing that makes people insane because we live in a culture that tells us as long as you try hard enough, as long as you, you know, generally restrict, restrict, restrict. And we also know that over restricting can backfire um, and not help with your weight loss um, goals in the long run, mm -hmm. um, you know. As long as you exercise your butt off, I mean, if, you know, if I had a dime for every woman I've had in my practice who under ate and over exercised and still was ticked off that she doesn't have the same body that she had when she was in her thirties. I mean, I think there's a certain amount of acceptance that we have to say, Hey, this body has carried us through a lot in life. Um, this, you know, for women who've had children, it's brought people forth into the world. It's, you know, carried the load for a lot of things. Um, so there's some, some, you know, to, to really answer your question, there's a lot that we can do to mediate the, the weight gain, but to, to think that we can micromanage it with enough effort is just likely to be disappointing in most people because bodies change with age, whether or not you're going through menopause. Mm -hmm. Is there some magic pill or formula then that can prevent or reverse menopause or midlife weight gain? Because I see all no. the time people are saying there is. <laughs> no, no, let us be the ones to say officially no. And if there was, uh, you know, we'd be we'd be rich and living on in some on some Caribbean islands, you know, I mean, it's just not possible. The one thing that I can say um, that's so important is strength training. I mean, we really harp on and on about that. And, you know, starting in your 40s, if you can, starting anytime is good because they have there's research that says people in their 80s can gain, you know, strength and muscle. Um, but start, you know, start now and um, and and make it, a, you know, a, a, a consistent practice of at least two times a week because muscle is a metabolic organ that's going to keep, going to help keep you well, you know, as you age, it's going to help with your appearance. It may, it may help take the edge off of uh, some weight gain. There's a lot of benefits to it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so to prevent you from falling and breaking your hip. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, it'll help yeah. keep your bones. Not you when know. you're 50, but maybe when you're 80 or 70. <laughs> no, but that's what we're trying to guard <laughs> that's against. That's what we I are. Mean, this is a time yeah. of life. If anything, it's like um, that the things that many, maybe many women have thought you know, I should be doing this. It's now coming home to roost, yeah, you, you know, at be. this yeah. point in life. So, you know, we have, I mean, many women, very smart people do. Like we live, we live in Boston. We're surrounded by like super smart people. Smart people. Smart. E- even I've had conversations with incredibly intelligent women who still don't really get the importance of strength training. Mm-hmm. So they're really good cardio people. They'll walk. I had somebody tell me yesterday, I, oh, I walk five miles a day. And she's never done strength training and she's 69 and she's feeling, you know, fragile. So, so maybe a lot of what we know we should do, but haven't been doing becomes that much more important that we actually start to engage in some of these changes. I mean, we've done that. We've gone from, um, you know, cardio, cardio, cardio in our twenties and thirties, right? Because to, everybody was doing it. Well, it was, you know, we did aerobics, man. I love step aerobics. <laughs> and jazzercise. I still love step aerobics. <laughs> um, in running, I mean, I'm a runner, same thing. So what I've done is cut back on my running and added, you know, strength training instead of it. And you know what? My, my weight's I mean, it's not like you gain weight because you stopped running or you stopped doing aerobics. You just, you cannot keep pounding your body like that either, you know, um, as you get into your seventies and I mean, it's it's, uh, really the, the strength training and the really getting serious about physical activity, um, is critically important to preventing progressive weight gain with age. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the only secret we have. Yeah. I mean that, you know, obviously the food part is important because Liz and I have talked extensively about how the calorie margins are more narrow than ever. They're razor thin in my case. (laughs) I don't know about you, but, um, yeah, I'm more. (laughs) And, you know, and all calories count. I mean, I've, I've had some interesting conversations with people that don't understand that two drinks a night, not only is it not good for you, it's actually a lot of calories that you can't do that and expect that your weight's not going to change. Or even things like olive oil. Like I'll have clients that say, I never eat fast food. I rarely order takeout. I don't keep a lot of ultra processed stuff in my house. And then they start to measure things like olive oil or dressings or sauces or, you know, all of these things that just can add up very quickly. And then their minds are blown. Like, whoa, I was cooking with five tablespoons of olive oil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just because it's healthy, it still has um, calories in it. And everyone has a calorie budget. Everybody. Right. So So you mentioned. It's probably worth mentioning that there is through perimenopause and menopause and aging, there is a decline in your metabolic rate. Um, probably related to aging, related to it being more difficult to hold onto your muscles. So in terms of like things that we can actually do something about to buoy your calorie burning up to whatever degree we can influence, again, it comes back to the trying to maintain your muscles um, because there are no pills you can take to kind of speed your metabolism or right. any. Well, there is, but they're not legal. So yeah. we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> but I, there's no magic pill in terms of in a pill form, but what I'm hearing you echo over and over again is strength training. If there were a magic pill, strength training might be it or hitting a steps goal just to move more throughout your daily life, kind of dialing in your nutrition and being mindful 
of your calorie budget, whatever that is for you, these things should have an impact. If let's say, yes, body changing is normal throughout your age. But if a woman feels like, okay, I'm legit way heavier than I want to be in this time of my life, you know, what that person can do to get the weight off. Is it the same stuff essentially that works when you're in your thirties and forties or is it well, works? The definition of works has to be clarified too. So sometimes people have very unrealistic expectations about what's possible about weight loss period in terms of what does it take to lose a meaningful amount of weight and keep that off? And clearly it takes a very consistent, prolonged, sustainable uh, attention to the physical activity piece for the calorie burning side and what we're eating. So there's, you know, calories consumed, calories burned. We also know that the time of day may impact how our body utilizes calories, you know, how many calories our body burns pulling food apart. Um, you know, there's a, there's a calorie cost to actually digesting food and it, there's some evidence to suggest it's, um, potentially beneficial to be mindful of like eating more of your calories earlier in the day, um, with an idea of trying to get into the evening and, you know, not being starved and underfed and therefore eating too much at night. You know, I, I think if we were to identify an eating pattern that is, probably not helpful to anybody, you know, menopausal woman or not, it's under eating during the day and overeating at night um, because it is a bit of a um, genetic mismatch related, you know, in relative, uh, in relationship to how our body burns calories. Um, so this is based on the whole science of circadian rhythms, um, which would suggest, you know, you know, I don't think it needs to be breakfast like a king, lunch like a queen, dinner like a pauper, but we live in a culture where there's a tendency to under eat during the day, either because people are busy and running around or, you know, women are great dieters until their brain won't take it for one more second, you know, at four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And then things tend to blow up. So eating pattern clearly plays a role in a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so, again, this is a time where people may say, well, I don't eat breakfast because I've never eaten breakfast. And then their body's used to not eating breakfast. But you know what? Now you may need to think about retraining your body to start eating earlier and staying ahead of your hunger so that things don't blow up, you know, from five o'clock on, which for many people is a pattern that is likely going to exacerbate their weight gain problems. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one -on -one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now, back to the episode. I think one of the things, if you're going to drill down into nutrients even too, um, is after 50, 
women need more protein. They need more protein because they're not using it as well. They're not utilizing it as well. And we talked a lot just a few minutes ago about strength training. You can't build and maintain muscle without adequate protein. And, mm. you know, we think that um, we did a lot of research that um, the um, requirements are much higher for protein than they are uh, listed in the, you know, um, suggested intakes from, let's say, the government um, from their recommendations. So um, you might, you're going to maybe think about changing, even though you have this calorie budget, like we were talking about, let's say it's 1800 calories for you to lo lose weight, your proportion of the, the three new macronutrients, you know, protein, fat, and carbohydrate is probably going to have to change. As Hillary was talking about, there's, it takes calories to burn food and protein takes a few more calories. Um, it, and, you know, it may give you, give you a little bit of edge, but it's also going to provide everything that you need to build the muscle, which may help you to burn more calories. It's very, you know, it's all, it, it all flows together. So you might want to, um, really kind of drill down and take a look at, well, where are my extra calories? Hillary mentioned, oh, two glasses of wine every night. Well, you know, maybe I, sh well, from a health standpoint, should only be having one really, but um, I'm, I'm not going to preach anything. I'm just telling you, um, you know, <laughs> where, where are the extra, where are the extra calories coming from? You're taking a handful of this or a handful of that or him, you know, and that all adds up. But when you have adequate protein in your diet, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, you are not as tempted. You just are not. And um, so maybe rethinking the, the calorie distribution uh, during midlife, I think that's, that's really important. Um, the protein is, is more satiating mm -hmm. too because it slows down uh, gastric emptying. It kind of delays um, the digestion and metabolism of all of the things that we're eating. And I actually just heard really awesome, you know me, I'm always looking for like, examples or associations to try to get people to understand this, but this she doesn't dietitian, know you, but I do. Yeah. Yes, I know. <laughs> so this dietitian Mark O'Mara from the Brigham Women's Hospital, he was talking about when he talks to his patients about eating things that are actually going to stick to your ribs for a while to make sure there's enough protein in there. Cause protein is kind of like a dam over with, over which everything else that we are digesting has to get, get beyond. So if women in particular have a tendency to just nibble on just straight carbohydrates throughout the day, you know, there's no dam to kind of slow down how fast that's going to, you know, to continue to travel on through your system. So if you think of including protein and some healthy fats can help to prolong the satiety value of the things that we're eating, you know, in the end, if, if feeling full and, you know, if portion control is about feeling full and satiated about what you're eating, you know, for constantly nibbling on things that are going to be digested and run through in no time, it can lead to just this constant, um, sense of not really feeling full for very long. So I think the, the information in the book that we have that orients things around a balanced plate um, has a clear visual for make sure you're including enough protein in your meals um, and in your snacks because they're going to help you. It's going to help you with the portion control likely throughout the day by just helping you feel satiated. Right. And as you're describing this, I'm thinking you mentioned earlier, you know, you're chasing the kids around or maybe you're working. And then when menopause hits, you're more sedentary and then maybe you're home more. So you're kind of grabbing a handful here and there or, you know, adding a couple glasses of nightly wine. I mean, the calories can start to add up. Maybe in the past, you didn't have to think so much about balancing your plate because you were so active 
And now the weight's creeping on. And then when you switch to, like you said, adding more protein, I'm sure you're a huge fan of fiber as well, you know, Mm -hmm. getting protein and fiber at your meals and focusing on nutrition at meals rather than snacking and maybe even front loading calories, like you said. So you set your day up for success with a breakfast. It really what's coming through for me is just maybe there's more intentionality required at this stage of life that you didn't have to practice 20 years earlier. Right. And that's or you didn't you didn't have to practice for weight control. Right. Right. Like good nutrition has always been True. important. It's right. you can get away with a whole lot of stuff when you're younger. Right. So I mean this is a you know, I guess what I mean when I say coming home to roost. <laughs> this is the time to really get serious about, you know, what are you putting into your body and is it is it is it helping you or is it not helping you? Mm-hmm. You know, like we always say we're much more interested in what you're eating you know, necessarily than what you're avoiding. So, well, yes, it's important to not drink too much alcohol. It's important to not eat too much ultra processed food. But even if people like don't go to McDonald's and they don't drink soda, that doesn't mean they eat at least, you know, two servings of fruit, three servings of vegetables, that they're getting enough protein. You know, these are intentional um, actions to your point. Like you kind of have to look at your day and say, if I want to get in the volume of healthy food, that's going to have a meaningful effect on my health and my life. When am I going to stop working and put something in my mouth? Right. You know, so we can, we can, there's so many things that can tie up our attention and, you know, because we have these big brains and can ignore hunger until it gets desperate. Well, once it gets desperate, we're not going to be good judges of what we eat, how fast we eat, how much we eat. We're animals. going to be at night. So as long as people continue to espouse to this, like I'll eat when I have a moment, as opposed to, I need to build healthful eating into my day you know, you're probably going to continue to struggle because you're going to try to make healthy decisions when your brain is fried and you're starved and, you know, forget it. Your primitive cave girl brain is just yeah. going to, you know, stomp on your willpower and you're, you're going for the, right. you, you're going for the potato chips. You're anything going. that's not nailed down because yeah. we're yeah. basically animals. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well. I can't tell you how many clients have come to me after implementing a really filling balanced, satisfying breakfast and just seeing their entire day change of, oh my gosh, I'm not ravenous before lunch. I'm not counting down the seconds until I can have my pre-lunch snack. And then, you know, lunch feels so much calmer because I'm not just grabbing for everything. And then I'm not as snacky after dinner. It's just breakfast, I feel, can be a huge a hugely helpful element of a day for many people. So what mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear is I'm sure you've heard of Dr. Mary Claire Haver. Mm-hmm. She is kind of blowing up uh, because of her Galveston diet. She's an OBGYN. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she really believes in intermittent fasting, specifically the 16 eight configuration. So that would mean you eat in an eight hour window And then you fast for 16 hours, which typically means skipping breakfast. I just saw her on TikTok. Somebody had asked her, you know, what do I do? Because I used to have milk in my coffee. And she was saying, here's all these other things you can put in your coffee so that you drink it black and you can have it with cinnamon and all these other things so that you have really zero calories or maybe five from your coffee, right? And you're having zero calories up until your fasting window ends, which is probably later morning or around lunch. What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting during menopause? Okay. So (laughs) that's the question of intermittent fasting is a little bit different than 
the question about the Galveston diet as a whole. And the Galveston diet as a whole is a mixture of intermittent fasting and the keto diet, which neither, we're not big on either one of them. Mm -hmm. So we're not surprised that women are losing weight when they mixed, mix those two things. Um, The book is in the diet itself is largely based on um, her cherry picking interpretations of a lot of the research for her assertions. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not to me, it's, you know, leave nutrition to the nutritionists. You know, I mean, don't, you can't go around picking you know, research to that fits your agenda. You have to look at everything on that topic and say, this is the best thing to do. Okay. You can't, you know, decide ahead of time, well, this is what I want to say. And now I'm going to go around and, and fill, you know, up that void with, with the research that um, I can find. So from an intermittent fasting standpoint, we have no problem with time restricted eating, which is probably like, 10 to 12 hours a day of not eating. We feel like that gives you uh, your gut in the rest of your body a chance to rest. And as Hillary was saying, you know, most of that rest is going to come at night. That's what we recommend. And that's because of the way that insulin functions in your body. Insulin does a lot better job of, you know, helping you to move all those calories around and, and use them up earlier in the day. And that's what she was talking about, you know, front loading your day with calories. Um, so we're, we're big on that. We don't, we're not fans of, you know, of 16, eight, we don't think it's sustainable. Um, particularly we think it's extreme. You, particularly when you take into account what you just said about, so that there is, um, evidence and emerging and reinforcing evidence that human bodies use insulin better as a hormone, uh, earlier in the day. And that the body may actually use more calories burning food internally earlier in the day than it does at night. Mm-hmm. So that this evidence, we're satisfied that it points to the importance of trying to get your eating going, you know, early in the day, like our ancestors did, you know, the sun came up and they had to have at it, take advantage of the sunlight. Physiologically, we've probably adapted to that model. So when they actually look at, you know, what is the net calorie burn related to digesting food, whether you're doing it earlier in the day or later in the day, it appears to be a favorable thing to start eating earlier with an idea of, you know, curbing it later in the day, but not being unrealistic like this 816 thing. So if if you can't kind of have your cake and eat it too, like if you want to take advantage of this early morning thing and and you want to eat by seven or eight, if you think you're going to go the rest of your life and stop eating at three or four in the afternoon and still live an enjoyable life, there's a shelf life to it. I've seen people do it. I've seen them lose weight and gain the weight back when they decide they can't not have dinner with their family. Right. So like we strongly object to CrossFit is very good about big about um, espousing the same thing. Don't eat breakfast. To your point, there's plenty of evidence, you know, that starting your day with a good balanced breakfast can set the tone for the day and probably metabolically has advantages. Mm -hmm. So as Liz was saying, if, if you can just get a 12 hour window, cause we always have the theme of, and still live an enjoyable life, you know, <laughs> as a writer to everything that we say, you know, the, the more people make this sound difficult and impossible and, you know, it just, it's just doesn't, doesn't last. And even they, with the keto stuff, oh. like 
the keto diet, say, okay, initially people go on a keto type diet, they may lose more weight in the early phases. At a year, there's no difference from those people and people that are just trying to eat healthfully, burn more calories. And the keto thing is not going to be sustainable for 99.99% of people, whereas the other stuff that hopefully you did that was more moderate could stick around. And the same thing with intermittent fasting. There's no proof. There's no scientific proof that intermittent fasting makes you lose any more weight or manages your blood glucose levels better or does anything like that than, that, than regular old calorie restriction. Now, if you want to do it, if you want to do, you know, restricting your calorie, restricting your eating to 12 hours a day is a form of intermittent fasting. And if you want to do intermittent fasting, that's what we suggest that you do. Um, Because what we find with women is they overeat at night and they're not overeating carrots and celery and protein, right? They're (laughs) overeating, right? We're on the couch with the chips and the, um, you know, the candy and the cookies, whatever. And that's why we shy away from it. But the keto thing is another, another, uh, you know, kettle of fish entirely. It's dangerous for women at this point in their lives. Absolutely dangerous. We think it's distorted eating. Um, it's feeding into, uh, you know, poor, uh, body image. It's too strict and it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. It's most people, just not healthy. Most people think they're doing it or not even doing it by the they're way. They're not. Yeah, yeah. They're more like following it like an Atkins diet. Like they, yeah. they don't even really know what a real keto diet is, which Ugh, is it's extremely difficult thing. It's awful. Um, it's awful. There are kids that have, um, seizures, you know, seizure disorders, right? That, that, that's, where the keto diet comes from and it's beneficial in those kids and it's miserable to follow i don't know why anyone would want to do that to themselves but it works with these kids that you know medication is not working on them this diet works on them it's not for weight loss it's for kids with epilepsy well i think yeah the issue with dr mary claire haver is she has this huge following millions of followers that really, I mean, she says some really incredible stuff from her OBGYN practice of, I think she, you know, has opened people's eyes to a lot of things from her professional standpoint as a doctor, but then she created this diet. So then everybody assumes like this must be the best thing ever because yeah, so what, what, is so t- what is so trustworthy about yeah. somebody who writes a book like that and, it's, and, and espouses all these things. I mean, even as a doctor, I'm not sure I'd be. Yeah. I, well, I think you shouldn't be sure at all because people have to appreciate that physicians do not have mandatory training in nutrition. Mm-hmm. If they get it in medical school, and I'm talking about like we live in Boston where, you know, I've done presentations at Harvard Medical School and places like that. We were, worked high, in Harvard Medical Hospital. Even in these yeah. high-end institutions, the nutrition education they get is very limited. So um, in our experience, very frequently physicians what they know about nutrition is directly proportional to what they've chosen to learn based on their own personal experience, not based on having to study the science of nutrition in depth. So it's not unusual at all, unfortunately, for physicians to give out erroneous information about nutrition. It's just unfortunate when somebody has a lot of credentials and a lot of following and, and is a respected medical, you know, healthcare professional, but starts dabbling in this thing that they really don't have the training in or the time in the trenches to, to, to work with women around sustainable change. Like so many of these things are not 
sustainable. Like we don't want to be one more chapter in the life of women of do this unsustainable, over-restrictive thing that you can't possibly live with for the rest of your life so that you can lose weight and gain it back and maybe have even more challenge challenges related to controlling your weight from having done that so many times. Mm-hmm. And mentally, you know, mentally what it does to you, you know, mm-hmm. fo- go, following these extreme diets and then, you know, quote unquote failing. No, the diet failed you. You did not fail the diet, but yet you still feel like you're the one with the problem. Yeah. And you're not. Amen to that. Well, mm-hmm. I think that's a great note to leave it on. Uh, I would love if you could share where can everybody follow and find you and buy your extremely research-backed book. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> um, so I think the best place to follow us is, us is on menopause. It's on menopause. Is on Instagram at menopause diet plan. We're also on Facebook at surprise menopause, menopause diet, diet plan. plan. Nice. And you can buy the book on Amazon or any online bookseller, or you know you can get it in your bookstore. Great. Well, I uh, posted on TikTok the other day, Abby Langer's review of the Galveston diet book and people Uh were outraged, just like so much hate towards me. But I can't wait to now go on because I was going to do a little response to that. And I'm going to post just a little picture of your book and send people there instead and say, you know what, here's something you can do that would be so much more worth your while. And I'm, I'm sure they'll yell at me again, but it's okay. <laughs> but I just say like as many people as, you know, are hating you, there's so many people that, uh, for your Galveston diet review, um, it, it, there's so many more people that you don't hear from sure. that are loving you for it. For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And I do think people love their tribes, especially with yes. nutrition and they love once you, once they're part of the keto tribe or the paleo tribe or the Galveston diet tribe, that is their people. So if you say something that counters that belief, I mean, look out, but it's the price of sticking your neck out. Exactly. Right? We do every once in a while and we get ours chopped <laughs> off too. But you know, I think I, I'd like to make one more plug for, you know, the information in our book is not just evidence-based, but it's also based on collectively between the two of us about 72 years <laughs> Of being dietitians like in the trenches with the people. So we're not just talking about, we're talking about like real life experiences and things that we've, you know, witnessed for decades. And lived. Um, We're trying to pair that with the evidence, um, which unfortunately is not as sexy as something that's seriously. (laughs) And that's the key word, right? It's not really sexy. It is. It's sexy. It's sexy cells. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so, so much, Liz and Hillary, for being here. I know I learned a ton. This is going to be my go-to episode to just send to everybody who questions anything about menopause, weight loss, or weight gain. And I can't wait to stay connected with you off air, as I'm sure listeners will do mm-hmm. as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition 
and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.